that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Not too long ago, I bumped into someone who informed me that her marriage was coming to a close because of some very serious mistakes that she had made. I would later learn that her husband had abandoned their relationship, therefore she went searching for love from somebody that she happened to meet at the workplace. Well, eventually some text messages had been discovered and things began to unravel from there. Trust had been broken. And the next thing she knew, she's calling her lawyer to help determine custody for her children. At one point in an email, she wrote to me, she said, I just want to see if forgiveness is possible to repent and see if God will ever wipe clean what I have done. Well, having never surrendered to Jesus before in her life, she said something to me during one interaction that we had that I'll never forget. In fact, up until this point, I wondered if she was in deep remorse over her sin or if she was just sorry that her affair had been discovered. And and really, there's a big difference. But this is what she said that changed everything. She said, Patrick, I just don't know if I'm good enough for Jesus. And when she said that, I knew she got it. And while that may define all of our stories in here today, it was in that moment I knew that she was ready to repent and surrender her life to Christ. A few days later, she stood in some water and declared through her baptism, I'm not good enough, I've blown it big time, but I have found forgiveness in the one who has paid it all for me Jesus Christ. You see, only until we come to the end of ourselves are we ready to begin a journey with Jesus. When you can honestly say, I don't know if I'm good enough because you've stared your brokenness square in the eye, you're exactly where God wants you to begin a life with him. Now last weekend, Ken kicked off this series by talking about how everybody is called to be in a relationship with the God of this universe through something called the gospel. But unfortunately, not everybody responds. And so what it comes down to is this. God has chosen you. God has chosen you. But have you chosen him? He has chosen you, but have you chosen him? Now, when we look upon the cross that Jesus died upon 2,000 years ago, the clear message is that sin has been dealt with, and he has chosen every person who has ever lived to be in community with him. It's only through what Jesus did for us upon the cross that we can find the forgiveness that we are all looking for. I mean, after all, aren't you just tired of carrying around that guilt from an unplanned pregnancy with a boyfriend who's now long gone? I mean, don't you want to get rid of that weight of shame from this addiction that has just been weighing on you lately? Now, the good news is there is not a past represented in here today that Jesus can't handle and he can't redeem. And really, that's the story of an individual named Paul that we're going to look at today. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open up to the New Testament book of Acts. Today, we're going to be in chapter 22. Acts is towards the back of your Bibles in between the book of John uh, and Romans. 
And I believe it's on page 776, and the Bible's right in front of you. Now, to set a little context here, to give you, um, to inform you what's going on, Paul has been in Jerusalem, and he is surrounded by a bunch of angry Jewish people who felt as if he had defiled their religion. They were about ready to kill him when all of a sudden some Roman soldiers intervened and saved Paul's life, so they put him in chains. They stand him in front of this angry mob, and from this point forward, Paul begins to declare his story of how Jesus has redeemed his past. And so we're going to be in verse 3. That's where we're going to pick up in chapter 22. Here's what Paul says in front of this angry mob. Verse 3, then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything that I did, just like all of you here today. Now, Paul is identifying with this audience full of religious people. And quite honestly, many of us could have been in that crowd. We've kept all the rules. We've raised good kids. You're a moral person who attends church because it's what your parents told you to do. But you see, all of that can be really dangerous because it's possible to have the appearance of a Christian having never been transformed from the inside out. I mean, you can do a lot of good, yet never repent of the sin in your life that nailed Jesus to the cross. You see, religion can be very deceptive like that. I uh, recently stumbled across an interesting article talking about the limousine that transports the President of the United States. The Secret Service calls it the Beast, and if you were to see the Beast out on the road, you might conclude that it's just a normal black Cadillac DeVille. But up close, there's actually not one part on this vehicle that is original with the Cadillac factory. Everything from the engine to the headlights to the transmission to the glass and metal, uh, even the gas tank and emblems are all highly modified. And so again, if you were to be driving down the road, you might conclude that it has the appearance of a Cadillac, but in actuality, there's nothing authentic about it regarding a Cadillac. And I think that's where many of us are at today. It could be that you have the appearance of a Christian, but below the surface, you're simply enslaved to behavior modification and empty religion. You want just enough of Jesus to keep you from Jesus. You've been raised in church, but you haven't been raised in Christ. And so maybe today the challenge for you is to allow the grace that Jesus offers to invade your life and allow it to transform you from the inside out. Now, Paul, he continues this story in verse 4. Now, notice that he does not water down his testimony. This is what he says. And I persecuted followers of the way. That's his way of saying the church. Hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them into prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the Christians from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. Now, before meeting Jesus, Paul was a terrorist. I mean, he was the church's worst nightmare. Acts chapter 7 and 8 recounts a circumstance when Paul, previously named Saul, approved of the murdering of the church's first martyr, Stephen. Now, look at what Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says. It says this, and Saul approved of their killing him. Now, this is really a gruesome verse if you look below the surface, because that word approved means to take pleasure with others. 
And so the picture we get here is that Paul saw every stone that would nail Stephen's body, Saul would cheer and he would rejoice with his friends as if it's like some scene you would see on Gladiator. Now Paul recounts this chapter in his his life because it's by doing so that this crowd can begin to understand the depth and the height of God's grace. Now think about it. Something radical had to have occurred for Paul to go from church terrorist to church planner. Author A.W. Tozer once wrote, Jesus Christ knows the worst about you. Nonetheless, he is the one who loves you most. Now telling this part of his story was Paul's way of saying, this is what God knew about me, yet he still chose me. And the truth is, God has chosen every person in this room, regardless of what may define your past. But the question that you've got to confront is this, but have you chosen him? And there's a big difference. Look at verse 6, Paul continues. He said, and as I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 8, who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one whom you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice that was speaking to me. Now this is Paul's transforming moment when he met Jesus face to face. Now notice that Jesus, when he confronted Paul, he didn't say, how could you? I mean, what were you thinking killing off all my children? And yet, sadly, that's how many of us think that Jesus operates. You have this false perception that he's angry, chasing you around with a pointed finger rather than with open arms. Now, let me ask you, If Jesus can confront someone who is killing off his people in a loving way, how much more does he then look at your past and say, just come to me, I'll take care of it. I already paid for it when I went upon the cross. You see, Jesus was truthful with Paul, yet he didn't lessen his offense. And yet where there was truth, there was also grace. This was obviously a turning point for Paul. And some of us, we have a very dramatic conversion experience similar to Paul's. And then there are others of us who would probably have a pretty difficult time determining the moment that you became a Christian. I was, uh, I was born into a very Catholic family over in Louisville, Kentucky. And if you don't believe me, my full name is John Patrick Paul Garcia. That's also evidence that I'm the youngest of five kids and my parents wanted to stick me with every name that they hadn't used up until that point. <laughs> But when I was about three months old, uh, my parents had me sprinkled in front of our entire congregation at the time. And I got to tell you that I'm incredibly grateful for that moment in my life in the Catholic Church because what my parents were, the message they were communicating was that they wanted me to grow up to know and love and serve Jesus throughout the entirety of my life. Well, later on in my life, uh, my parents had switched churches to one much like Crossroads in the Louisville area. And I knew that I needed to make this Jesus thing, this faith thing my own. And I knew it wasn't something that I could just inherit from my parents. And so signifying that decision, I decided to be baptized by immersion. Now, when I was baptized, it might seem as if I had been, I was disregarding what my parents had done for me when they had me sprinkled as a child. But you see, it wasn't that at all. 
My parents would later tell me, Patrick, you weren't nullifying what we did for you when we had you sprinkled as a baby. You were only completing that which we started in you. You were making your faith your own. And there are many of us in here today who have a Catholic, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, or Episcopalian background who just need to signify that decision of making your faith your own by choosing to be baptized. Now, when I look back on my story, can I determine a specific moment when I became a Christian and I was adopted into God's family? I mean, honestly, not, not really. It'd be like asking me, when did your parents become real to you? I, I don't know. I mean, they've just always been there. Therefore, the legitimacy of a conversion is not determined by the emotion that surrounds it, but it's measured by the life that happens and the transformation that occurs over the course of time. Now, some of us, we get there through a very dramatic conversion experience. We've hit rock bottom in life. Others of us, it's been more of a subtle reality that we've come to grasp. Either way, however you get there, it should always be a decision that is followed through with baptism, uniting yourself with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, look at verse 10. Paul says, I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and he stood beside me and said, brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and what you have heard. What are you waiting for, he asks. Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Now Paul's baptism was an outer portrayal of an inner cleansing But maybe you're wondering, I mean, I've seen a lot of baptisms before, but what is being said when someone chooses to be baptized? What statements are they proclaiming? And what would I be saying if I choose to be baptized? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) That's what I want to help you out with for the remainder of our time today. The first thing that you say when you are baptized is this. This is the message you're proclaiming. I am putting my past behind me. I'm putting my past behind me. We've all blown it big time. And if we get down to it, a lot of us just aren't proud of who we've become in life. And that's one of the main reasons why Paul went into explicit details about his past with this crowd in Jerusalem. Now, he wasn't boasting about killing Christians, but his point was to say, hey, look, if God can forgive my past and give me a second chance, don't you think that he can start fresh with you too? Look at what Paul says about baptism in Romans chapter 6. He says, Or don't you all know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, now notice it's into Christ, it's not into a church, a denomination, or a specific pastor. Why? Because those things don't save you. Only Jesus saves you. You were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, Paul isn't, saying, isn't just saying that baptism is about putting your past behind you. He isn't just saying that, look, you're, from that day forward, you're claiming a new identity. No, the message is actually much stronger than that because in essence, what he's saying in this verse is this. Baptism 
It signifies the death of your past. It no longer has control over you. So that previous marriage, that DUI, that abortion, it no longer defines who you are as a person. Rather than being seen for what you did, from that day forward, God now sees you for what Jesus has done. Why? Because those things in our life that tend to drag us down the most are the very things that Jesus ended up dying for. Pastor and author Pete Wilson writes in one of his books, your past isn't your past if it's still impacting your present. And I think that's where many of us are at today. Now here's the thing. You can switch spouses. You can get a new job. You can move to a different city. You can try harder next time, all in an effort to distance yourself from this train wreck that you caused. But over the course of time, it's only a matter of time until the same habits, the same attitudes, the same behaviors and motives will resurface in your life. And so what would it look like for you today to claim a new identity, to put your past behind you and put it to death. Some of us, again, we need to allow this grace that Jesus offers to invade our life. You need to be, you need to be told that Jesus, he specializes in giving new life and offering second chances. Well, the second thing that uh, we say when we're baptized is this, I am surrendering everything. Now, as soon as Jesus confronted Paul on the road to Damascus, his immediate response was, who are you, Lord? And what's ironic is that Paul calls Jesus Lord before even knowing him. Now that term Lord is derived from the same word that slaves would call their master. It is a title of respect and signifies ultimate authority. You see, to follow Jesus means to die to yourself and surrender to him. And if you think about it, that image could not be more apparent in baptism. You see, when you are baptized, you're lowered into that water symbolizing Jesus' death and his burial. Under that water, you aren't breathing. You aren't talking. In fact, your body is resting in the hands of somebody else. And you aren't, and, and I think that really just captures the idea of what following Jesus is all about. You aren't just a servant of Christ. You are his slave that dies daily to yourself. And last time I checked, slaves don't really have rights. Now, a common question that uh, we receive around here at Crossroads is this, do I have to do it in front of everybody? Do I have to be baptized in front of everybody? And to that, I'd really say, you know, I think that's really the wrong question to be asking. I mean, the answer, if you want it, is no. The Bible doesn't explicitly say that you have to be baptized in front of a certain amount of people. But I would tell you, you get to. I mean, it's an honor and a privilege, right? And so if you see baptism more as an inconvenience than a privilege, then maybe you aren't ready to give your life to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that to be polarizing or mean. I say that because following Christ at some point in your life will cost you something, and it's okay if you're just not there yet. But let me ask you this. What does it mean, what does it mean that I wear a wedding ring? It means I'm not the boss of me, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just true. But it really means that I love my wife. There's not much I wouldn't do for her. I'm committed to her. And if you've ever met my wife, Savannah, you would know that I married way out of my league. I mean, that's just true. And 
Uh, that's why from the beginning I determined that if she were to ever leave me, I'm going with her. <clears throat> but how do you think Savannah would feel if I came to her one day and I said, you know, Savannah, I'm, I'm only going to wear our wedding ring in front of close friends and family members. How do you think that would make her feel? Well, if anything, it would cause her to question my commitment to her. You see, the purpose of this ring is for it to be a public reminder, a public symbol that I have committed my life to her. It's a covenant that I have made between myself, her, and God. And likewise, baptism is this public symbolic reminder and declaration that you have united your life with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It is a benchmark in your faith proclaiming your commitment to him. Now, Jesus died a very public death, and baptism is an invitation to go public with death to yourself as well. Now, questions can be a very good thing, but sometimes they keep us from doing what we know we ought to do. And some of us, we will walk out of here today stuck in a rut because of questions like, well, well, what will everybody think if I choose to be baptized and, and I walk in front of everyone? How will my parents react if I'm baptized there and uh, though they had me sprinkled as a child? Will my small group think that I'm less spiritually mature if I decide to do this? And I understand a lot of those questions. I really do. But what I also get is this. Nobody, I mean nobody, gets between you and God more than you do. prerequisite to baptism is repentance. It's turning from your sin and towards Jesus. But before you get to repentance, you must first believe. And before you can believe in Jesus, it requires humility on your part, admitting that you need a savior. And my experience has been that when following after Jesus, there is just no room for our pride. There's just not. And so Jesus says, look, I've absorbed the punishment that you deserve by going to the cross in your place. But to get there, It requires humbling yourself. And so that invitation is on the table today, but it's only for those willing to swallow their pride and admit that they need Jesus. And Jesus walked 90 miles to be baptized, and in just a few moments, we're going to ask that you maybe walk 90 feet. Now, what's interesting about about the life of Jesus is that he didn't encounter any opposition in his life. until he was baptized. And so what that means for us, baptism doesn't make you invincible. If you decide to take that step in your faith, he might still leave you. If you're baptized, your boss could come to you this week and give you a pink slip. There's still the possibility of a miscarriage. You see, God never promised to protect you from pain, but what he did promise was to be with you through it if you let him. And so baptism is this public invitation for God to be beside you through suffering, not necessarily to be exempted from it. Well, the final thing that um, we say when we're baptized is is this. I am declaring my adoption. Now, when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was told to go to a house that was owned by a a man named Ananias. Now, look again in verse 13 how Paul recounts that moment when first meeting him. It's perhaps the most significant moment in his conversion. Paul says, Ananias stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. 
Now, Ananias calls Paul a brother. Now, that word signified wait for Paul at this point in his life. Now, we know that Ananias was very hesitant to do this because Paul's name at the time, Saul, was synonymous for persecution and death. Ananias knew that Saul was headed to Damascus to tear apart his family and his friends. Perhaps Ananias wondered if God was giving him a death sentence by visiting Saul. But you see, but you see, when you are a part of the family of God, regardless of your sin, you are a part of a people who will look you in the face and will call you brother or sister. Why? Because we've all been embraced by a heavenly father who did the same for us. The story of the church goes like this. Our common DNA is that we were once lost, but because of Jesus, we are now found. We were once dead, but because of Jesus, we are now alive. We were once in bondage, but because of Jesus, we are now freed. The family tree of the church goes like this. God has chosen us, and we have chosen him. So maybe, maybe today you need to declare that adoption. Today's going to be the day when adulterers walk into these baptistries and God will say, you are my daughter. Today is going to be the day when alcoholics walk into these waters and from that day forward, God will say, you are my son. Today is going to be the day when rebellious teenagers come forward and from that day forward, God will say, I am welcome home. I have been waiting for you for a really long time. Again, the good news about Jesus is there is not a past too messed up for him to redeem and for him to take care of. He has chosen you, but have you chosen him? And so we want to give you the opportunity to respond if you've never been baptized, if you don't remember your baptism, if you want a fresh start in life, if you were baptized for all the wrong reasons and you're ready to repent of your sin and turn towards Jesus, making him your Lord and your Savior, today is your day. Now, some of you didn't come prepared to be baptized today, and that's okay. We got you covered. We have towels, we have t-shirts, we have shorts, and we have clean and dry underwear. It would be a sin for us to make you leave here with wet underwear. It just would, okay? <laughs> Both baptistries are heated. We have professional photographers taking every photo of your baptism so you can always remember this moment. We'll send you a video clip for you to show close family members and friends who aren't here today. Others are worried about their hair getting messed up or their makeup will come undone. Ladies have come up with that excuse too. But you know, we've got hair dryers and we've got hairspray, we've got makeup and deodorant and other toiletry needs. And if you're afraid of crowds, if you're afraid of crowds, suppose that you won $25,000 at a halftime show during a Colts game, would you let the fear of crowds keep you from claiming that prize? Yet how much greater of a debt has been paid on our behalf because of Jesus and if I'm talking right to you today, in just a moment, I'm not going to ask that you come forward. Rather than you coming to us, we're going to come to you. Scattered throughout all this room, um, there will be trained volunteers in orange-colored shirts ready to receive you and walk you backstage. You're not in this alone. If you're ready to repent of your sin and be baptized, we just ask that you step out of your row and go see them. They will make sure that you're taken care of. These volunteers will answer any remaining questions that you might have. 
They'll take you to your dressing room. They'll guide you through everything that you need to do. Whatever worry, fear, or anxiety that you might have, they will address it. And so my close today is a question as well as an invitation that Paul says in verse 16. He says, and now what are you waiting for? And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away calling on his name. And so if that's where you're at today, I want you to make this prayer that I'm about to lead you through your conversation with God right now. And as soon as I'm done, you get up and you make a beeline to one of those volunteers in orange colored shirts and you be obedient in baptism. Let's pray, and then we're gonna worship. Lord, I have sinned, and I have disconnected myself from a relationship with you. I have rebelled. You are holy, and I am not. Apart from you, I have no hope. And so in this moment, I declare that through Jesus, you have chosen me, now I choose you. Jesus died for my sin, and I accept that. I am all yours. I surrender from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen.